you feel like I'm in a position of fan with Chad? Like our relationship would be like he's a creator uh, I, and fan. Uh, me too. I'm totally a fan. I, uh, 100%. Well, because he, I've never been so convinced on something. Like he's changed my position on ideas. And then yeah. uh, I'll get excited and I'll look into him and then I'll come back and talk to him. And he's completely changed on it. Oh, totally. like, well, that that happens with me on uh, like so many times we'll we'll decide on a movie to cover and we'll watch it and I'll just text him and he'll be like, oh, fucking that fucking movie. It was crap. And you know, he just has all this bile to spew on it. And then I hit record and he's like, yeah, it was really cool. I liked how it and he just completely, <laughs> completely flips. And I and I like not really, but I kind of had all these arguments against him set up that are just useless because he changed his mind, you know? Dude, I, I feel like I can hear that when you guys are talking. And yeah. it, you know, that is <laughs> one thing about, well, it's interesting because you guys do, you know, I, I end up talking a lot about scary thoughts with just like friends in the Bay Area and creative people because I was shocked that there was a podcast that I wish I had been listening to from the beginning and I had no idea. But again, we're terrible at marketing here, so understand. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when I found it, I just I was telling everybody, and oh, thanks. Usually, people so a lot of people listen to you, and then they'll come to me and be like, "Yeah, you know, I, I really like pretentious discussion," and I'm like, "That's a weird way to box that show," because I don't think you guys are doing that at all, and yeah. or maybe you are, but you're you're dealing with like I don't, light entertainment, not like you're not running through the Criterion Channel. And no. I want that kind of discourse. Yeah. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you. Because yeah. one of the things that stood out was uh, you mentioning on the show that you had saw Birdemic out here in a theater. Did I see that in the theater? I've seen it a few times. I don't I know that I saw it in the theater. What's that? I, you know what? I got to look that up because you said it on the damn show. To be fair, yeah, 60% of the things that come out of Russell's mouth needs uh, facts checking. I know. So, That's okay. why we have two producers here who Good stare blankly at us. Oh, who's, no, who's you, QC in your? Uh, oh in your my God, we are we are far behind on the QC, the QA, <laughs> the whole thing. Ray, Ray is holding down the Q part of things, but uh, all the other <laughs> thing, we're we're a little behind. No, I am convinced you said on the show you saw Birdemic in theater, but that's not the important part. Yeah. It's just that you know half of a show that is constantly called pretentious, um, you know, unraveling a film. Yet one of the hosts is into like Troll 2 and outsider art and, yeah. you know, not just saying, oh, it's so bad. It's good, which I fucking hate. Yeah. You guys sit there and you 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 run through it. And I don't know. I, I fucking I love it. Like when you guys were all about Stranger Things, that was like a red yeah. flag to me because I'm like, I don't get it. Yeah. I think and we both done a 180 on Stranger Things, actually. Yeah, but, but what happened? But yeah. Um. I think that the, how do I put this? I think I was already mistrustful of the thing that is doing the sort of like retromania, hyper nostalgia thing, but it did it so well that I think personally, I would just, I was just along for the ride, but then over time feeling like, well, it's still doing this thing and it's not really doing anything with it. It's just really laying into what it is and i've kind of just gotten tired of it um i don't know i don't know how much to criticize it as a thing 
but um, I'm having a really hard time getting through season four where we, we have decided we're going to cover it even though neither of us like it in particular, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, I'm having a really hard time even finishing an episode. I'm watching the whole thing in like 20 minute increments. However, there is, um, in my neighborhood, there is a, a stranger things like one of those selfie museums. Yeah. You know, there was like the museum of ice cream and all that shit. There's one for stranger things and my nieces are coming soon and they're super into stranger things. So I'm actually looking forward to going to it with them. I think that'll actually be fun and might, yep. might, might get me to just lighten the fuck up about that property, you know? Oh, so it's a selfie museum. I thought it was, they were doing like a pop-up bar out here too. Oh, I don't know about that. They've taken over the armory, which is where kink.com used to be, you know, that epic building that if you're a good climber, you could probably scale. Um, (laughs) They have turned it into like, I think it's called the Stranger Things Experience. Mark, is that how you think of all buildings? (laughs) Just you you look at the the building is like, you know what? I think I got it. (laughs) Wow. Maybe. Yeah, that's, you know, I only know about the pop up bar because Terrell's been talking about it. He went to a Game of Thrones pop up bar and, you know, took a picture in the throne, but bought (laughs) like one twenty two dollar drink. Sure. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I would be down for that with Stranger Things. Also, we went to Hollywood Horror Nights. When was that? Like a couple here. When when did we? I mean, the last one was before. It was during the lifting of lockdown. Oh, okay. whenever it was the worst haunt I've ever been through. And I mean, Aww. you know, they have professional. Yeah, it was terrible. I don't for whatever reason, I'm I'm always, you know, super guarded with myself on those things. And I can't enjoy I hate feeling like a tourist. Oh, yeah. At any given time, even in my own city. And yeah. to participate in something like that, even if it was a property that I had great admiration, like if they had like a selfie museum for the wire. Oh my God. I still wouldn't go. <laughs> Would that be? I don't know. <laughs> it's Omar. It's Omar, and everybody yeah. just—you have to run away. That's right. You hear the whistling, and uh, yeah, man. Well, it is. It's a weird relationship with film because we're so far into the uh, commerce angle at that point, where you're like celebrating the IP. You're like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. That that does make me kind of. Yeah, and Icky. I just i I finished the first season of Stranger Things whenever the first season came out. It seems like forever ago, and now they're only on their fourth season. So, like, it was on hiatus for a while, right? Well, it might again, have been a pandemic thing. I if, imagine, yeah. Now, uh, Mark just said that he's going through at twenty minute intervals. If you're not familiar, I believe every episode's fucking ninety minutes long, right? They're like their own movie. Are they? now mark (laughs) i don't what is it about why is my favorite bay area podcast hosted by two people from outside of the bay area this is something i'm learning about well it's the bay area i exactly but now we we've talked to mark a bunch we learned about his uh scooter trip across america oh no that was chad that was Chad. Oh, that's Chad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was, was him. Smart. That was him uh, uh, moving. He didn't know he was moving, but he was actually moving. Like he took a scooter trip from New Orleans to the Bay Area and like never went home. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> All yeah. parts of that story. But, you know, the first episode I listened to of Scary Thoughts was the one where you were talking about where you had you were officially like sworn in. 
I think where you took the oath because you're from Canada. Yes. And I'm, I'm super curious to know how come you migrated out here? Um, well, uh, it's complicated, but I'm Canadian, but my father in the eighties was in software. And so we moved us to, um, the East Bay here in Northern California so that he could be nearer to Silicon Valley. And so I actually went to high school in the East Bay and then I moved back to Canada. But in that time I met, uh, Monique, who is now my wife. Uh, we were 16 at the time. And so when I had a few years of Canadian university under my belt, it seemed like the right time to, for us to be together in the same city. And San Francisco was always a, a beacon and destination for me through high school. And it had always been one for her as well. So it seemed like the, the natural place for us to both meet up. Were, were you guys both creative in high school? Yeah, I, we actually met at a summer theater camp, basically, at Northwestern University. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. My. All right. So last night I ended up watching uh, Joe Bob Briggs, which I've just dived back into since it's been on Shudder. Like, I've never seen yeah. any of the episodes, but he had the Adams family on and they were talking about Hellbender. And there's something about like the deeply creative families that just freak me out. Like, I feel like there needs to be some balance. And so Monique, man, I'm so curious about her because she's yeah. a female drag performer, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, for a long time, even on this show, I used to kind of like march against them. I was like, oh, they're like, that's a Literally. Yeah, like I'm literally. Was, it was a one man yeah. march. And yeah. uh, I, I just you, didn't You'd be counter protesting pride with just this like, no, <laughs> no faux queens. No yeah, no faux queens. queens. Every and, all of you are fine except for those. So I am so curious about that, and I, I won't get into it now. But I did buy her book, so okay. you sold me on that. Well, this is just your I money at least. They don't yeah. need to read it now. No, I do because I'm so curious. Like, did, now, did you participate in Tranny Shack too? As a drag performer, no. I I worked at the stud for a number of years before uh, she'd even performed at Tranny Shack. And for a while, I was like doing lights. I was there every damn week anyway. So it was uh, might as well be useful, you know. And and God knows I, you know, was like the the wig handler (laughs) for a million shows and tours. But I think having, you know, having been around Monique and being very familiar with the sort of confusion about what constitutes a female drag queen and things like that, the thing that has been most frequent to notice with people is oftentimes people don't understand until they see her perform. And to a person, if you see her perform, you're like, oh, I get it. This makes perfect sense. You know, um, yeah. She is she is a performer. She's playing with gender. She's playing with feminine identity as uh, as a trope that she is, you know, assigned female at birth and also playing with the identifiers of femininity in performance and using the traditions of drag like lip sync and things like that. Yeah, I'm I'm worried that my exposure is too. uh like surface level because I've basically like land insider on, um, uh, Dragula. I was so confused by that because most of her looks, she looks like she should be on, um, face off the like special effects reality show. Awesome. And um, yeah, no, it's great. But I'm like, is that like, what is drag? And you know, I don't really have anybody who could answer exactly. And I think the answer is 
well, what is it? And it's whatever you want it to be. What is anything? I know. And yeah. again, I realize I've been uh, very excited to talk to Mark. So I've had this conversation run through my head. And it's a very long way to get to an argument that you had posed against Chad, where yeah. Chad's whole theory of garbage in, garbage out. And you can't yeah. just watch bad movies all the time because then you'll become a bad creator. Right. And, and, you know, everybody involved in the show from Randy to Clark, we're, we all still flirt with the idea of making a film. Yet I, yeah. I worry that I take a lot of garbage in. So I'm like, mm. well, I don't want to bring it out. But you, you had a good argument there. And your argument was kind of uh, connected to your experience with the Tranny Shack, RIP, which was a prolific community of creators out here yes. and you were saying well you know you get a bunch of people together and they challenge each other and from that you can grow great art and yes. when i look at a lot of the shot on video film that i enjoy or the so good so bad it's good shit that is kind of what i want i want like a different path to creating interesting art instead of like you know you go to film school and come out and you're in the studio system and that's all you know I want a dude who, you know, ha got hit by a car and uh, discovered that he w was attracted to the same gender and then made a movie about finger painting that's found footage. Right. Like uh, that, I feel like you can't weigh them the same way and each can both be valid. So right. I, I need you to help articulate. I basically, I need you to tell me that we, we are capable of making a good movie. <laughs> oh, well, okay, absolutely. Well, first, first, I have a question. Is this the podcast? Are we rolling? Is, That's are people question. hearing this? Oh, we're rolling. Nice and easy. <laughs> okay. okay, so I should be mindful of, you know what? I'm not going to be mindful of what I say. Do not let the maxims of my podcast co-producer prevent you from making art. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we should have um, that as a drop I know. <laughs> <laughs> um the i mean also i think that one of the sticking points between he and i is even the idea of great art and i i really bristle at it it's not that i don't believe such a thing exists i it's more that i think that that's just sort of chasing this utopia that can't be nailed down um, I don't, I don't feel for me, it is useful to think about great art, you know, um, like I'm in school right now and I had two classes in a row and in one class completely randomly, someone made a reference to Mozart. And then in the next class, randomly for no reason I could understand referred to Picasso. And it was just like, why are we talking about these fucking guys anymore? Like what, why are they even reference points? Like, oh, I need to refer to some creative genius who the fuck cares about those two people they are completely irrelevant they're fascinating to talk about in the history of art but why are they these reference points and i think it's because we have embedded in us this idea that there is a thing called great art and it is a thing to aspire to and we are in its shadow and it is perennial and it's like well it's perennial because people won't fucking stop talking about it you know in these in these ways that are not relevant but Mark, to play the devil's advocate here, yeah. you know, to say that, you know, Picasso, Mozart are irrelevant, but like, you know, aren't those guys like sort of the building blocks for where we are now? Like, you know, this person was inspired by Mozart and then this person was inspired by that person. So, you know, I think there's a germ there, right? Oh, sure. For sure. Uh, but again, I, I, I don't want to be disingenuous that uh, and say like, 
there is not art that appeals to a great number of people for a complexity of reasons that tends to be quite perennial because generation after generation can continue to find value in it as opposed to things that kind of slip away. But I just think that like art is too slippery. Art is too complicated. There's too much idiosyncrasies in its making and subjectivity in its experience that like we continue to draw from the same well over and over as if there is a formula. You know, I think this is kind of attached to the way, you know, we live, we live in the Bay Area, attached to Silicon Valley, and we suddenly are confronted with this term creative as a noun. And those creatives are not actually doing anything creative, and their companies don't actually want them to do anything creative. They want to get people to refer to this very vague notion that creativity is this incredible well to draw from to help uh, fuel the wheels of capitalism. And that's just not how it works. You know, there's not some sort of, there's not some sort of greatness and, and there is intellectual or economic profit at the end of it. For me, you know, again, I, I think I think that there's I, I mean, I use the word great and amazing to talk about art all the time. And I definitely talk about some art as being terrible. I, I don't think that there's not a hierarchy in some way, but to talk about it as if it's real, I think is a I think there are diminishing returns in in thinking about art that way. And I think that, you know, what you guys do is a part of that is that you guys are engaged in this practice of being very, very rigorous about horror in general, but then a, a micro genre of horror and really digging deep. And I think that is so much more interesting than a um, hundred podcasts about Psycho, yeah. regardless of how inspiring that movie was, you know? Well, we like yeah. to hang out at the garage sales of, you know, in the genre. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what we do. You know, it, it's funny because it's kind of why I agreed to be on this show. Like originally, the whole Overlook thing we do was kind of I agree with you, Mark. It, it's like I think we elevate art based on how much people talk about it. And when we teach it, it's kind of ingrained in everybody. So anybody who does film knows Spielberg. Just kind of you have to. And I was like, well, it's not really fair because there's a lot of like, I mean, I have Amazon Prime. And I could yeah. randomly pick a movie because the marketing worked and I like the poster. But then I turn around, there's nobody to talk to about it. So I was like, you know, let's do a Overlook thing where we watch a movie and we try and find that one person who is really hung up on the Blackwell ghost. And then, you know, we'll just talk about it for an hour and a half, which isn't yeah. the best marketing approach. But I'm like, yeah, I really want to unravel what you were talking about. And, you know, uh, again, me needing to be fact checked. I remember fucking four <laughs> years ago. I had heard it in one of the one of my film theory 101 classes. My teacher had made an art. I think it was my teacher at the time. I can't even be sure about that. But they had mentioned that Vertigo, uh, just nobody liked Vertigo. And it was a huge failure for Hitchcock. And then they had put their marketing money into the college system and started working it into courses. And then when the colleges got on board with it, this academic argument like blossomed from it 
And then regular culture started picking up on it. Like I've seen Vertigo maybe five times in the theater. It's not the most fun movie to watch. <laughs> no, it's really not. But it is beautiful. And, uh, you know, I'm in the Bay Area and uh, there is a lot of fun film craft going on. Yeah. But I mean, like when you're digging deep about what the color green represents, like, you know how much shit I got for the green night talking about color. As theory? a colorblind person, you know what green represents? Red. <laughs> no, but I I think I think it is true. Like when you get like heavyweight influencers now and they pitch a movie like, hey, we should rethink uh, Megan is missing. Then you get fucking TikTok crazes where people are talking about Megan is missing a oh, movie that God. was completely overlooked. So it's like, what yeah. is good art? Well, again, you know, um, Mark, uh, Russell talks about your show oh, I know. all the Too much. time. I apologize. And so, many, and so many times he, he says, well, you know, Mark, Mark's an outsider art guy, you know, and then mm -hmm. it, generally he'll bring up Bird Dimmick. <laughs> I do bring up Bird Dimmick. <laughs> I'm going to pull that clip. I'll find it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bird Dimmick is really fascinating uh, as uh, you know, there's this like pantheon of so-called bad, bad cinema of, you know, Bird Dimmick, Troll 2, The Room. Um, I think Fateful Findings deserves to to be on that. Hold on, on that scale what? as well. Fateful Findings. Nope. Oh my God. Oh God. It is so good. It is so remarkable. Like on the level of the room, maybe more. It's bananas. Okay. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people use the the room as like a uh, like a, a buoy in the ocean of uh, yeah yeah yeah. And, you know, the thing about The Room is it's a I think it's a troubled dude who had a ton of money, yeah. pretty much no limits, didn't understand American culture, but really wanted to make an American movie, which yeah. you get this like bizarre melodrama from an alien. And it's yeah. perfect. And th I mean, that's that's what's true about Birdemic and Troll 2 as well. Is yeah. Those are um, outsiders, non-Americans trying to make American art. And also those three movies, it seems are people who do not speak English very well writing a screenplay and then enforcing exact wording on their actors. So you have these like, uh, uh, you know, English speaking American actors being forced to use uh, really poor grammar and something really special happens. Agreed. Oh. And I, I think that, you know, <sighs> It's it's a slippery slope sometimes talking uh, about outsider art with people that are not typically, you know, um, enamored with it like we are. Um, yeah. For example, like, you know, y y we bring up good points about, you know, language barriers and things like that. And then something special happens. But, you know, then you've got a guy like Ed Wood, who is just clearly delusional. And also something special happens. So yeah. it's 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 something that is is kind of hard to Ooh, I don't shepherd in, in sometimes to, to people. I, I'm glad you brought up Ed Wood because I'm not a fan. Yeah. And I think mm. there's something different going on well, there. You're not a fan of him or you're not a fan of, of his, his of his product. Yes. You know, I think just because of technology back then, it takes a lot of um you need a intro for Ed Wood. Like if you just throw on plan nine, you're not going to get the same like kind of a uh, cold reaction you would from the room. Yeah. And it's just, I think the way film has evolved, but it's fun hearing people talk about Ed Wood. But like when, when I first realized like why I was enjoying films like monkey shines, 
Because, you know, it takes something. The film has, it can't be stagnant. You can make a weird movie that's one note and it's still fucking boring. And it could be all gore. It could be all kung fu. It could be all weird magic. But it has to, it has to be like a Miami Connection where there's always a new turn. It's yeah. always evolved. And you're like, whoa, dude, it, it won't stop. And dude, well, I think what's, nine, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying Plan 9 is not that. It's not that, but I think what might also be happening is that it's not that, how do I put this? Okay, some things don't age well, or they just don't, you know, there are vintage classic films that um, still resonate in certain ways. And I think one factor that can make something age out is things like, how did this get made? Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, Red Letter Media, This Conversation, where actually there are some parts of cinema, there are some genres, some moments in uh, Hollywood history that people know more about through the filter of this is ridiculous than through the filter of this is a part of cinema history. So I would imagine a lot of kids today i'm making a big assumption but i i think i think there's a a truth in it even if i'm slightly off that a lot of kids might know ed wood's era of cinema more through ed wood than through almost any other filmmaker because (laughs) we have such a focused lens on failures in cinema where we have things like you know it's been around a long time and it's a dated reference but tim and eric's uh the tim and eric show great job um that most of the humor is predicated on um, cinematic failure, the 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 abrupt edit, the bad CGI, the acting that is misaligned with the tone. And so it's almost as if something like Miami Connection, we can think about it as like, oh my God, it's one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah, but it's sort of canonic to entire genres of things that are actually trying to accomplish something yeah. uh so it's not strictly quote bad cinema it's almost something else entirely now where it's a style guide yeah 100 percent. there's another thing too where you know in plan nine we have like vampire in it and it's like yes you know all all these like cultural icons at the time who are kind of like on the way out they're complete they're not even alive anymore so i think yeah. stuff like that just kind of wanes and i think maybe that's why you need an intro but i you're totally man i, lo- I love having these kind of conversations because now uh for oksana's birthday these are the kind of people we are mark i is oksana uh, there i don't see her is she, she is. is she part of this conversation say hi i'm uh, one of the producers who just sits here and does nothing apparently <laughs> Well, oh God! Uh, I gave you a sign. Yeah, Sana, how are you? I'm great. I didn't want to search Canadian pedophiles. I gave you ninety <laughs> minutes. I needed something on Canadian pedophiles. Randy's, you gave me nothing. Wait, the one with the we, got, we got Mark here. You can ask him. <laughs> no, how dare you laugh at that? That was not where I was going no, with I, that. No, no, no. Just say Canadian. Yeah. Name all the pedophiles although, you know. Although Mark, I was taking it. Okay, good time drink there. Yeah. Okay. What's up? <laughs> no, Clark had a we we were trying to pinpoint if there had been a Canadian pedophile ever. I think a couple of weeks. ago. I mean, you know, there's pedophiles everywhere, but you but you not don't, Canada. You don't really hear. Yeah, talk about perennial. <laughs> That's right. Good job, Canada. 
Fuck, keeping what? those pedophiles. So, okay, I know what I was saying. Um, we're the type of people. So for Oksana's birthday, we, me and Oksana, our birthdays are separated by a day. So we get kind of burned out. Like everybody wants to party usually on mine. And then by hers, it's like, oh, we don't want to do anything. So it's like, well, let's just watch a movie. And I, after my long ad campaign, I had convinced her to revisit her, her original love, Edward Furlong in uh, his, his, the peak of his career in the Crow four. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I don't think I even know who Edward Furlong is. What what's what what's something big that he was in? He was the kid in T two, Terminator two. Oh oh oh! Of course, of course. Yeah. yeah there yeah. you go. So, um, in uh, I'm gonna go ahead and take a wild guess here, but I think he started ab- abusing uh, his drugs a little bit in this time. Uh, he started gaining a little bit of weight, a very little bit of weight. That's the only thing I oversold on this had, movie. Yeah, he had a he had a he had a bit of a double chin. They were shooting around him anyway. He played the crow. And uh, mm. this is the kind of film that we watch. And uh, honestly, Mark, there's a film for you. Because wh- how was I working this in? I-, I was having conversation with somebody who they haven't seen a lot of films in general. And they could not understand why we loved The Crow 4. Which, at you know, what, early 2000s movie, uh, misfire superhero thing, um, has the cast is fucking Tara Reid playing a strung out wannabe hippie witch. We have uh, Dennis Hopper playing a like hip hop priest. We have (laughs) David Boreanaz who gets possessed by the devil and turns into Jim Carrey in the mask. We have uh, Tito Ortiz playing one of the four horsemen who is just, you know, he has great quotes like that refrigerator looks like the one my mom used to lock me in. Like these are the kind of things we're talking about in this movie. And, that uh, sounds great. I mean, that before even before you said Boreanaz, I was thinking this sounds like a season of Buffy that not never got released. <laughs> you know, Danny Trejo also revives a dead raven. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this sounds so good. Dude, it's, it's so, so good. good. Mark, you would love it. And we we had a friend over who uh, did not understand it. He uh, he actually hated it. Yeah. And it took me a long time. Like, how could you not enjoy a movie like that? Like, yeah. And I think if you don't have enough of a palette, like if you haven't seen a lot of Hollywood movies, like I mean a lot, by the way, like over 2000, I don't think you can appreciate a weird misfire like that. What do you think it's a do you think it's a um, a formula thing to where we're expecting something to happen? And then if it falls, you know, again, you know, we talk about, you know, bad editing and there was some. (laughs) <laughs> terrible edits in this thing i call it stylish and uh well i mean yeah no, that's i mean that's part of the conversation right so i think that you know when, when you're going in and you're expecting you know a hollywood studio film to a certain degree there is a formula that is aligned with that ideology and if we stray from that it makes people think that they're watching something inferior and then they're just they're checked out. Oh, I I get it. Yeah, like a lot of the discourse around Cronenberg's new movie. Like I hear people kind of use weird as a catch-all. And they're like, "Oh, it's weird." And I'm like, "Isn't that a good thing?" Like haven't me, they seen a- any of Cronenberg's discography? No. Well, that's some of them, yeah. Ding ding. But I mean, when something happens on screen that's com- you've never seen before, I I don't know if my reaction had ever been, "Oh, I'm upset about it." Like I, I get excited. Like show me something new. Yeah, no. The 100%. Have you guys seen the uh, Have you guys seen the new Nicolas Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Whatever Talent? Talent? I have. Yeah, that. have you seen it yet? 
Randy, go oh, ahead. it's great. There's a really good sort of running joke about Paddington Two being being a canonic incredible film. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I recommend there, that movie. There is a community. I, actually, speaking of all this, I'm sorry. What? There is a Paddington Two community, I believe. Oh is yeah, there? it's called okay. the world. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it got me curious if they chose that movie randomly or if there is if there is a there there. But I mean, speaking of all this, I mean, Nicolas Cage's career of the last many years definitely taps into that where he's sort of running this line between he's making movies that they're not they're not so bad, they're good, but they definitely appeal to people who are into that kind of cinema. And I think it's really fascinating that while we have, you know, like, uh, are you familiar with what Bruce Willis has been up to for the last five years? Are you guys up I, on this? I heard they created a new Razzie award for him because he was in like eight movies last year. Yeah. And they were all terrible. A lot of them, he's literally like sitting in a lawn chair for half the scenes. Like he doesn't, he's not even standing up. Some of the some of the movies he's doing, you can see he has an earpiece in, like someone's feeding him his lines. Whoa! Um, some of them, like he's in an entire movie in a single location, and they're clearly trying to make it look like there's something happening. And so he's just like cashing checks and burying uh, his name. Turns out he's probably actually quite ill and yeah. uh, ending his career on a on a you know and as far as i'm concerned like make your money like do whatever yep. it takes i'm not going to see those films but yep. he should do whatever he wants but then meanwhile nicholas cage is in pig mandy color out of space willie's wonderland unbearable weight i'm probably forgetting a couple and they're all like these smaller budget movies that are in the scheme of things for a star of his caliber and price point incredibly risky and he is giving them everything he's got. His performance in Willy's Wonderland is no less than what he gave in Face Off, right? Or Valley Girl, you know? He's like completely committed to these small, weird movies. And I just like, I adore him for that. Yeah, you know, that is really interesting. Um, he He's a weird one. And I don't even know, I can't tell if it's like him being conscious and just like, having fun with art or is he still paying off the like tax evasion for well, the yeah, dinosaur he, bones? He was kind of in you know movie jail for a while doing fake films um, and things like that. And now we're, you know, when we're in the, uh, the age of cage, as they say, and, you know, cage who he, I have a weird relation with celebrities. Like uh, clearly we, we have a lot of like directors and stuff on the show, but we play mostly indie. And if I like Nicholas Cage has shown up to another hole in the head before we saw it, he's been in a room and I'm one of the people that I believe it. Yeah. And I, you know, I've looked at him and it's like, if I make eye contact, I almost feel like I've done too much. I'm just like, Oh, glad you're here. And I, I avoid him. Then we have friends who <laughs> he's tall, who ambush him for a photo and get it. And I'm kind of like, I kind of yeah. wish I was like that, but I, I don't take good photos. We, we have ambushed one celebrity yeah. in, in our life to get a photo. Who is that? And if that's the only one we do, I'm happy with it. It was a Takashi Miike. Oh, fuck. Yeah. 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 And I was, I looked at him and was like, dude, I don't take pictures, but we got to do that. Yeah. And that's the only picture. <laughs> I was like, it's Takashi Miike in the clay. In Which, the clay, who knows he's never be. here. He doesn't speak English. And His handler, who looks like in translator, looks like Lex Luthor. He, great translator, <laughs> terrible, terrible photographer. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> that was great. I would love to talk to that guy. Oh, Trent. man. But, you know, uh, Nicholas Cage. So our buddy, um, we're friends with William Spataro. He's a special effects guy. And he, he works on like stuff from like Robbie Smith's first uh, feature film ever to uh, what the hell is that new Will Smith movie? I, you know, I don't know. Seven if, pounds. I don't know if he, if we're supposed to talk about it, but somebody got hit in the face with a camera. You know how in the NFL they have the cameras that come down the field now? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody took one of those to the head going 40 miles per hour. And again, uh... this, you know, I'm making this story up. It's not real. But I heard uh, Will Smith bought him a car and took him to dinner. Like it was one of those kind of things. Like the guy, you know, he's permanently wearing glasses now. And uh, oh my God. Seemed, anyway. So Bill's he's actually he worked on Renfield and he uh, which is the the new Dracula movie starring yeah. Nicolas Cage and uh, Bill's he's a shy dude like us. He's a weirdo because he's one of the only people on a set like that that watches horror movies all day. So he'll wear like a full she shirt and people will be like, what a weirdo. And he's like, we're working on fucking Renfield like you're the weird one. But he had a moment where he saw an end to talk to Nicolas Cage, who was in full makeup. And he took it and man, he started talking about different incarnations of Dracula and like, um, what, uh, what's the, uh, faux documentary? Um, the one about shooting Nosferatu shadow of the vampire vampire. and Nicholas cage. Uh, he said he engaged with him in a way that he didn't with other people. He's like, Hey, uh, thank you for approaching me like a real actor because I can chop up dracula shit all day with you so he said he's completely coherent uh could hold a conversation and you didn't try and swing at him or anything so yeah i I can't figure out nicholas cage i think yeah have you seen that uh that community episode where abed takes this class that's nicholas cage good or bad i think that's what the class is called at community college let's jump in here I haven't. No. <laughs> she her her parents love community and they they always bring it up and I'm like I haven't. Is it good? Uh, I've seen the whole thing like six times maybe all the way through. Now, I'm pretty obsessed. There's a couple of uh canceled episodes of that show, right? Is there blackface that appeared? Well, there's one. Yes. Think, yeah. Uh Senior oh, Chang <laughs> is playing I think he's playing like a black elf, not African American elf, but and he comes to a D&D session in literal just like completely blacked out makeup and it's um you know as a white person (laughs) i don't know if i should opine on that but i think the commentary it's making about the cluelessness of the characters yeah i mean it's not not recognized by the other people in the room um but i don't think we're living in a time where any sort of nuance around represents representation of race like that is going to fly very well. So now let me jump in here. You say a black elf. Now I'm curious. Uh, I'll get in the weeds <clears> here, <throat> but I promise I'll be quick. I'm putting you on a timer. Uh, Michael- You're on your D and D timer <laughs> right now. <laughs> so Michael Moorcock penned a book uh, about Elric of Melnabane. I think I'm saying that wrong, but I'm, I'm already I'm hitting rim cycle. Slate. Now here's the thing. Elric was an albino elf. Now D and D, which was run by uh, not wizards of the coast, but TSR at the time was like, Hey, people want this. And they already had a problem with hobbits. So they made halflings to get around the IP. Sure. So 
they did a similar thing with elves and they made the drow or the dro, depending on what coast you're born on. Yeah, you might pronounce it differently, Natural. which were dark elves that lived underground. Now, was he portraying a dark elf or was he actually doing something interesting with race where he's like a like an African-American elf? We are basically talking about lacrosse statistics <laughs> in my head right now. I don't know what's happening. I posted a link in the chat that'll take you to a picture. I, Mark, I saw it coming. <laughs> I knew we were too far. I knew we were too deep. It looks like, a like dark it's like I'm excited that you're excited, and it ends there. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> okay, Oksana, she sent me a picture. Uh, he has silver hair. Is that irregular for the character? Yeah, the character has his natural hair. All right, so here's the problem. There we go. He's playing a dark elf. They're born underground. Okay. Now, the spider okay. queen, she, she's their god now. I'll, I'll stop. That was for you. <laughs> finally, we get some context. It, it was innocent. <laughs> you you <laughs> took us up the hill, and finally there was something there. Well, there's something interesting. Again, I'm sorry. But in D&D, &D, you know, you have elves and orcs and different races that are, like, completely... Like, you could, you could dive into race relations in, like, yes. Dungeons and Dragons and yes. kind of make it, like actual cultural argument or like you could be like how come it's okay to kill an orc which is you oh know, yeah i mean dungeons and dragons is so predicated on this idea of like hey there's another race go kill it yeah and it gets uh icky because then also they're very and then, and then go find this other thing and go steal everything they have well it, i mean there's a lot going on there because there's non-combatants aka women and yeah. children and it's like what do you yeah. do with them when all the warriors are dead it's like uh now are you describing your favorite David Iyer film uh Bright? Oh, RIP Bright. Uh, <laughs> it's not coming back. Good. <laughs> Russell Russell you, was Mark. one of the few defendants of that. Dude, oh, really? Wow. I I dug it. Do you see orcs okay. hanging out in the corner? <laughs> My favorite was the high elves who were like snobby art fans who were like, "Ooh, get out of our town." But they were clearly <laughs> gentrifying it. We you you were the only person I know who has defended that film. We had a filmmaker on, and you guys were talking about it for 20 minutes, and he wanted to strangle you. <laughs> we lost any validity we had with that filmmaker because of your love of Bright. Yeah, I know. I'm so, I apologize. That was, a, that was Netflix IP, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I'm still shocked you're not a David Iyer fan. He's doing cool guy boring shit all the time, and that's like right it's, up there. What, what else has he made? So, uh, end of watch. He did. Um, mm. He also wrote uh, Training Day. I think they kind oh, of. I, I really movie. hate that movie. I really hate that movie. Thank you, Mark. I have been. Oh, I have been so anti Training Day forever. Yeah. End yeah. I mean, Denzel Washington. Sure. Is incredible. Like he is amazing. But that movie is such a problem. I just. I don't know why it's become this hallmark of you know crime dramas and things it's just uh now, i i think of i think of training day as being like in conversation with things like birdemic like maybe not in turn okay let me <laughs> let me roll that back in in line with the type of movie how did this get made would would talk about like a movie like glitter or something like that like yeah, yeah. everybody's famous and the budget's really high but this is completely preposterous and or like uh, it's maybe like if Face Off was even more ridiculous, like or uh, it's like Showgirls. It's like to me, it's like an action hero Showgirls. It's just 
ridiculous and and borders on camp. You know, I think training day is popular because of comedy. Like I got a lot of cultural saturation from like uh, Dave Chappelle and stuff, you know, like people riffing on it. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, that has a huge impact on like how long a film can linger. But okay, before we get away from David Iyer, have you ever seen Harsh Times? Mm, I don't think Harsh so. What's times. That? All right, Mark, watch that one. That uh, stars Christian Bale, who is a, I believe he's a Marine suffering from PTSD, but he's hanging out with all his like buddies and he claims to be Mexican and he's applying for a government job while hanging out in bars, pretending to be a Vato. It is, uh, there are three quotes from that movie that are fantastic, and it is a train wreck. Is it not a prison film? I thought he was in prison. No, it's actually, it's actually got the vibe of like a road trip movie where it's like, you know, he starts off the day applying for a job and ends the the movie showing up back at home and you're like, wow, what a ride. He turned that. I'm totally going to watch that. (laughs) But it's very David Iyer. Like that dude has like a, a tour appeal if you're into those kind of films um now what did i derail you from you were talking about training day and then we were moving into there was another film there bright take a note not bright no i mean i could talk about bright a lot well he he (laughs) (laughs) you know what bright did that i really like and god damn it No, you know, choreography. And, and you know, he doesn't want to talk about it, but he must be. <laughs> no, because welcome Mark, to my life, Mark. Here's the thing like, you know, in the Venn diagram of like, so bad it's good, we get a lot of kung fu in there. And I'm not a huge kung fu fan. We have a kung fu barbecue. Thank you. Very I know much. we do, but it's got to, you have to be particular. And especially now, I feel like new kung fu stuff. I mean, a lot of it isn't even Kung Fu, so I question the 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 name of the genre, but like Tony Jaw and stuff. Yeah. It's got to mm-hmm. have interesting choreography. I'm like, that's something that we don't yes. get explored a lot. And Bright, when that elf was fighting in the 7-Eleven, there was some very interesting elven choreography there. Great. That's, funny. <laughs> that's really interesting. I think for me, also, something that really ruined action films for me is having trained in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the fun of non-credible physical combat is gotten really boring. Like watching watching people do the equivalent of like a kung fu, like karate, like hi ya, yeah. and punching the air and like doing spinning spinning kicks and shit that like almost never works unless you're at MMA level um, kind of has made your run of the mill action film really feel silly. Like they're, they're aping, they're aping Bruce Lee movies, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, half a century old now or something. All right. First off, Mark, sick, humble brag. But second, oh, I'm not saying I was good. I, <laughs> I, okay, actually, let me let me put it this way: having been on the receiving end of like real violence <laughs> has taught me <laughs> what fake violence looks like. In a movie. <laughs> no, he, but here now I have a complaint, and you're going to have to defend all of MMA here. But we're talking about like popular culture uh, affecting like other other things that you would never expect 
And <laughs> MMA, which I am a fan of, took a really it, dude. It kicked pro wrestling in the balls and it changed yeah. it in a way that I fucking hate. Like now with like, uh, what is it? AEW and WWE. You've, we've moved away from like, you know, the Tommy Wiseau vampire character with a high concept and like low athletic skill into the genre of there are 50 dudes in this Royal Rumble and they're all dressed like they're in a cage match and their names are like, you know, I'm Lou Armstrong. And it's like, actually, that name's more interesting than theirs would probably be. Lou Armstrong's pretty tight. But I fucking hate it. And you know what? I realize it's probably because of what Mark's talking about, where people, you know, they have an understanding of fighting now. And you yeah. can kind of, it's like, well, The Undertaker, that's not a dude that would beat you up. Although uh, he could. He wanted to do MMA. To my mind, it would be like if you were watching a contemporary movie about a movie being made and the director has a bugle and a beret and is like, <laughs> and action, you know, it's like that. What? I don't think anybody believes that anymore. Well, what, you know, what's uh, your favorite director that has the ascot? Uh, we just lost him. Oh, he died. Yeah. Oh, hardly knew him. I know. Hate to what? see him go. What the hell's his name? Randy help. Peter Bogdanovich. There we go. Oh, <laughs> amazing what what was the horror movie he, did he appear in halloween or no he was in one of those like requel movies uh, he was in, he was in it chapter two <laughs> was he yes yeah, he played he showed he, up as a director yeah with his fucking little ascot oh my god i didn't know oh. that was him how funny and yeah. it turns out that was the last thing on his bucket list <laughs> <laughs> so good <laughs> All right, so are you an It Chapter 2 fan, Mark? Uh, I was really disappointed. I mean, I liked, I enjoyed it, but um, it it was uh, disappointing after It Chapter 1 was so pleasurable for so many reasons. Now, Agreed. I agree too. And it's funny because we're talking about like... Uh, as soon as we got in that fucking Chinese restaurant, I knew we were in trouble. Well, I, that Ugh. felt like a big throwback to the original TV movie, which I kind of enjoyed, but God, the CG. That, the, but that's a different yeah. thing. Yeah. I think the problem with uh, with it was Stranger Things. I felt like yeah. that the the member berries kind of infected it, and then now yeah. it too was a lot <clears throat> of that, which I thought part one did a good job of not being. Yeah, it did it. it well, like, yeah, you pointed out the whole like brand new. Um, you know, Metallica shirts that people would be wearing. The, like, oh, in yeah, the whole things? Yeah, yeah, the whole hot, hot topic. Well, they did that in it. Like you see the guy. I think he was wearing an Anthrax shirt. Oh yeah, that looked like came straight out of wardrobe. Yeah, and not, you know, from their Hot Topic Connect. You know, there's you remind me of something too, Mark. Now I'm going to quote you again on your show. <laughs> you, something that stuck with me. I I can't remember how it came up, but you said I don't think kids should listen to their parents' music. Yeah. What a fucking yeah. cool thing to say. I think you're completely <laughs> right. And Can for so many reasons. First of all, just, you know, having some sort of differentiation from your family unit, I think, is uh, a core part of being a, a human, an independent thinking human. And, but further, also just being invested in art in any way, I sort of feel like in order for art to continue to be relevant, it has to be addressing contemporary concerns and be the product of contemporary ideas. And 
you know, putting your kid in a Ramones onesie and getting them to listen to The Damned, like, what are you doing to that child? That music is half a century old. I, I just think of like, I mean, okay, I did listen to my parents' music when I was a kid, but can you imagine, uh, I don't know when you guys grew up, but like if you were like a tween and you listened to music that was 40 years old. So I was a tween in like the early eighties. So that would mean I would be have like, I'm super into the music that people were listening to when they were home from world war two. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's my thing. And I wear t-shirts with like (laughs) big band leaders on them. Like, uh, something stalled out, you know? Something, something creatively is stalled out. And then, of course, you know, something I, I know you guys talked about with Chad is that, like, it keeps new things from happening. Obviously, new things are happening all the time. And there's lots of contemporary music going on that kids are listening to. But um, it is not not being led by companies that have a stranglehold on old IP and trying to like see how long they can stretch the legacy of a Neil Young back catalog or something <laughs> like that, you know? Mark, what were your parents uh, listening to? I want to know how cool they were. Oh, well, my my mom didn't really listen to music. My dad was very into like the pop end of Prague. So I was really raised with like Jethro Tull, Alan Parsons Project, um, Gary Wright, things like that. But then on the softer side, things like Cat Stevens and Bread. But my uncles, who were all younger than my father, like my first concert was The Police, The Go-Go's Killing Joke, uh, The Specials, Oingo Boingo. Um, I got to, I, I was really introduced to like punk and post-punk culture at a very young age. So okay. that was, that was like my younger, cooler uncle's music. I was quickly inundated with as well. Yeah, you you need that Sherpa to take you to the mountain. Yeah, no, I, yeah. you need that in music. You need that in film. You need that in you know any any you know artistic endeavor. You, you need that one person, and it's probably better if it's not your parents. Totally, and it's in, <laughs> I, I completely agree. I completely agree, and it also has to happen at the right moment. You know, it's funny. Uh, most of my music taste comes down to. One of my uncles made me a mixtape and gave it to me, and it became the template for everything I got into and still listen to. And I believe if he had given that tape to me a year earlier, I wouldn't know it would have been too much for me. Not too much, too much, but like I, I just wouldn't have gotten it. Yeah. So I have a niece who I like made a playlist for about a year ago, and she probably listened to it once and didn't connect with it because she's all into BTS and stuff like that. Oof. But I'm curious if when she kind of crosses that threshold into having more complicated a relationship with music, if I'm going to be able to sort of like have discourse with that, you know? Yeah. Where she, if, if she'll become the type of person who's into really cool, weird music and we can, we can talk about it or not, you know? How old is your niece? She's 13 now. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a good age. That's a good age. Yeah, yeah. Because my my <laughs> nephew is uh he just turned eight. And it's you know, oh. it's, it's a little too early. And yeah. my and also um he's adopted uh from Hungary. 
and they're they're dealing with some things that happened, you know, at a very early age with him. So they're being very protective of of what he is intaking, and they they know that I am, you know, <laughs> Mister Par Man over here, and like yeah. I I can't wear certain T shirts around him. Um, oh wow! Because they're they're trying to. He was he was exposed to stuff that a four year old should not be exposed to. A four year old mm-hmm. should not watch child's play. Um, that yes. is just how I feel, and I think <laughs> Wait, that, look that at me. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with when y'all have kids. You're gonna need some help because <laughs> because on his third birthday, y'all gonna pop y'all gonna pop in basket case. Oh hell yeah! You know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know. I, I pray about your unborn child every day. But no, that's the thing. It's like you just got to be very protective of, of those things. But I'm trying to trying to ease him in. Like right now I've got him. Uh, he loves the shags. I've got him. You know. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and now, to be clear, his parents hate that he loves the shags now Good. because, Good. you know, these are you know, you're doing your job. Like, yeah, that don't know how to play music, and it's yep. great. And so he sort of has connected to certain some of those things. So you know, I'm trying to do what I can, but you know, I've I've got to take my time. Well, you know, you can't go in full force at right. the beginning. So you're giving me shit. I think your your argument is a moral one that young children should not watch like bodies being dismembered. Or... Well, I think yeah, you know, y- okay, you need time to breathe. Yeah, a little bit. you know, I listened to one of my favorite Bay Area podcasts, Scary Thoughts, and they say garbage in, garbage <laughs> out. So are you stunting <laughs> this kid to be a terrible musician now? I think, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think puberty does a lot for because okay. <laughs> that's already you know that that is a literal physical change. Yeah. In one's body. And I think that you're already going through that, then, you know, naturally there's going to be a, you know, a mental change as well. <laughs> so I think around that age is when you start, you know, trying to explore. But my big thing is let kids be kids. Don't put too much on them at the beginning. You know, if yeah, they want to watch, you know, uh, Peppa Pig until they're nine, oh my let, them, God. let them Peppa Pig it up. Well, you know, it's interesting because... M- I'm curious, Mark, with your niece, if so, did you actually make her a mixtape or did you send her like a Spotify playlist? I, yeah, Spotify playlist. I didn't No, You know, I I used to be a pretty uh, annoying elitist like metal fan, and yeah. I, I've almost shied away from it because I feel like I music has really changed in a weird way. Like as we've been we have like a really rich culture of creating film and music like it's pretty easy to do now and i mean riches and there's a lot of it there's a lot of quantity over quality which makes it fun for what we do because we get to dig through that and find cool stuff but with music man i think you're right about needing a sherpa i i jump in spotify or you know you go to like pandora and they have the recommend thing or like you know your favorite band's radio and i just can't I can't digest one song and make a judgment of like, I'm going to move forward and listen to a whole album now because I really don't have a lot of time to do that. So I, I feel like music's in a weird spot. Cause you get all those spot. Yeah. Of, or, well, like what, like how do you become a popular mus- musician now? You need to have like a good Instagram page. Yep. Yeah. Right. Like that's not yep. right. <laughs> like, well, uh, 
I agree and I disagree. It's funny. I, I've been having a lot of conversations with people about this lately because I know a lot of artists and a lot of them are my age. And a lot of them have had to confront. So, okay. If you were a musician of my generation, right? You came up like, how do you, how do you become a musician? Well, you practice, you play shows, you be a musician. Yeah. But what do you also do? Well, you go to Kinko's and make flyers. That's not what being a musician is. You have to have a driver's license and someone's got to have a van so you can drive around and move these big, heavy black boxes from city to city. That's not actually being a musician. You have to network. You have to hang out after the party and at least pretend to do cocaine with the other bands. That's not being a musician, you know? So there are all these things that like, if you grow up and you think that that's part of the game, they're maybe a little bit more invisible to you about what being a musician is. Now, all of these musicians of the, my era are now in this era where none of that matters. Going to Kinko's and making flyers and knowing how to do graphic design for paper for eight and a half by 11s is irrelevant. But what is relevant is something like TikTok or Instagram and people, musicians my age are like, but that's bullshit. That's not being a musician. I'm like, yeah, but you used to do other things that weren't being a musician and they were fine with you. Can you adapt? Can you just sort of just think this is the going to Kinko's of being a musician in 2022? I have to go on TikTok and create something once a week to keep people engaged. And it feels like bullshit. And in a sense it is, but to maintain a career, we all do things that aren't the thing that you want to be doing at core. And that's, you just, and if you're not fine with it, then fucking quit. It's fine. (laughs) Or just continue to do things the old way and it won't have as much resonance. And if you're fine with that, that's fine. But if you want to adapt, you can't be a curmudgeon about it. You just have to like, look at what is going to work and, and, and open your heart a little to the fact that you've like lived this fucking long and the world changed, you know, now you were too busy. You were too busy being a musician to notice that what being a musician means has shifted. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's true of all, all art, you know, you are completely correct. Icarus. That, that was a perfect now. I mean, Monique, Monique, whose, whose book you purchased and um, should read, um, you know, she's <laughs> kind of looking at a similar thing where it's like, um, there's this thing of like, Oh, you want a, you want a booking agent? You contact a booking agent. They look at your Instagram profile. (laughs) If you have fewer than a hundred thousand, if you have fewer than a hundred K followers, they're not even going to return your call. And that has nothing to do with how interesting on top of it, how much of a hustle you have that only that's a, that's a literal metric. And so how do you not have anxieties about numbers when you're, livelihood is literally depending on like whether or not a hundred thousand people like you yeah. in oh. the most surface banal way. It's All right. weird. Mark, you've figured it out. Now <laughs> I got a question for you because you yeah. yourself are a, a very talented artist who's doing interesting stuff and you're part of a, probably my favorite podcast. So how do you adapt? Are you out there beating the Instagram drum or? No, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me because I really believe that, that social media is a cancer. Um, I think that, I think that social media is like cigarettes in like the eighties where everybody knows they're bad for you, but everybody's just pretending that it's, 
uh, yeah, I know they're bad for me. Ha ha ha. Mm -hmm. And smoking anyway. I think we're in that era where the experts know full well that it's poison. And we all, it's plain to see how terrible things like Twitter are for our mental health, for depression, especially for young people. Like the rates of depression are incredibly high right now for young people in America. And they're all on social media and they're all feeling worse after spending time on social media and they stay on social media. Um, And for me to participate in it, it's for me, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but for me, it's sort of like cocaine. It's like the most, the biggest reason why I don't do cocaine is not because uh, it's illegal or it's expensive. I don't do it because literally someone died to get it in your hands. It is the farthest thing from far farm to table that you can get. <laughs> like if, if you're if you're doing coke in the bathroom of a club, some child was literally murdered at some way along that cocaine's route. And and then you're gonna go and like have single origin coffee the next morning. Like I, <laughs> like I don't, uh, I, I have a hard time balancing. I'm, I'm not going to play in that, that that's on that scale. You know, there's blood on your hands before there's blood out of your nose. <laughs> exactly. Oh, totally. Totally. I, I mean, people can do whatever the fuck they want, but you know, we all, we all make peace with, you know, our iPhones being made under dubious circumstances too. So we all, we all, everybody draws their own line. But um, I feel like social media is something that I have a really hard time uh, participating in with any zeal because uh, I feel quite strongly about how toxic it is. So I haven't figured anything out, (laughs) but I also kind of don't care. You know, I, I feel like I've been making music that's, uh, on the margins almost my whole life. Like I've never been trying to make commercial pop music. I've always made music for a community and I am connected to that community and that's good enough for me. Um, and that I could psychoanalyze myself and say that that's just excuse making for not being successful. That's a way for me to never have to try or something but fuck it. That's not, that's not how I feel, (laughs) (laughs) but I choose not to run that narrative. But Mark, you guys, you, are you guys, uh, doing live shows now? We are, we played at bottom of the hill, uh, about two months ago. It was really fun. (laughs) I mean, actually speaking of all this, we, um, kind of part of, uh, Andy and my, uh, ethos, joking joking and not joking was like i want to be in a band where like we play live and then none of our friends really know how to fake a compliment to us <laughs> like we get off stage and our friends are like hey that um uh wow you, huh you know like yeah. can't compliment us because it, it, it's so uh, abrasive and caustic but actually we played a show and like people fucking loved it. Like it went really well. Like it went way better than I'd expected. So that was very encouraging. So we'll do more. Have you, have you always enjoyed performing live or is it something that you had to get used to? I've been, um, I've been getting up on stage since I was a kid and I don't know. I, I, my parents never instilled in me a sense of don't talk with the adults and don't take up attention and things like that. Um, 
I, I'm just, I'm very lucky. I've never had stage fright or anything like that. I just, uh, I'm far more mercenary about live shows. Mm-hmm. Like I've got, I have a job to do and mm-hmm. I plan on doing it well, you know? Yeah. Uh, so thankfully not. No, I, I, I really love playing live. It's, it's super fun. And, uh, nothing like it. Yeah. 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 Now, are you, are you going to do more out here? Because I missed that bottom of the hill show and I was bummed. Yeah. We're in the middle of booking a show probably in a couple of months where I'm just, we're just waiting for a couple of calls back, okay, at least so. one more. Uh, my bandmate is in the middle of moving. Uh, so he's very busy. And then I'm in grad school, which is yeah. kind of a tough time to start planning too many shows. Ah. Uh, but we've, we have a lot of, we have a lot of recordings coming out soon. Actually, uh, attached to horror, I guess. Are you guys familiar with trap metal? Is this on your radar? Trap metal. Russell, do you know about trap metal? Uh, no, it's news to my ears. So trap metal is a micro genre of music that is, it's funny. I've, I've asked this question of other people, like, are you familiar with trap metal? And they say no. And I play them a little and they're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like trap music and metal, like chocolate and peanut butter style. Um, <laughs> so there is this one artist named Banshee. Uh, I don't know how old she is. She strikes me as being probably like a Gen Z. Uh, she has this really amazing, like uh, sort of black metal shriek style voice and her, her lyrics are all about sort of trauma and things like that. And she was this really interesting musician. And a couple of months ago, Andy and I finished this song and I was thinking, this one needs vocals like, like <laughs> Banshee. And I said to Andy, do you know, can we get a hold of her? And he was like, oh, yeah, I, I know her people and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's weird. Can you ask? And she said yes and sent us this amazing vocal. So we've got um, a track coming out pretty soon with Banshee um, doing guest vocals, which is pretty exciting. Awesome. Yeah. That's anyway, rad. Something awesome. in the works. Yeah, yeah. I'm stoked about that. Is that. Now, is that traditional spelling on the Banshee? Yep. Okay. B-A-N-S-H-E-E. She's, she's great. Also, Russell, that's how you spell Banshee. Thank you. I did have an I down there. Thank you so much. <laughs> not, not, not B-A-N-J-E-E, like Banshee, like Banshee girl. And also, the Andy you keep mentioning is Andy Connors, who... Uh, Andy Connors, yep. Again, one of, one of the... It's one of those moments where you find a new podcast and you go back through everything you've done. And your Black Metal episode, I thought, was fantastic. I'm like, whoa. They're like highbrow dudes talking about shit like evil dead and you all have like a palette for metal and then yeah. learning that you had the guy who used to own aquarius records man oksana and i we used to love going there and yeah i feel like i've talked about this so many times on here but the motherfucker would do handwritten reviews on the cover of albums and i kind of he was almost like a sherpa that you didn't have to engage with it's like, yep. you know, that that um, the trope of I went to a record store and the guy at, behind the counter recommended something. It's like that. But yep. you didn't have to talk to the guy, which <laughs> I mean, in the in the age yeah. of social media, I'm sure that's something we all want. And, dude, I bought so right. much shit there from his recommendations. I don't know. Y'all y'all yeah. tapped in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I know Andy because I used to work at Aquarius Records. He was my boss. Oh, shit. Yeah. I used to write those reviews, too. <laughs> Man, it's so weird. Like, 
just I don't know how I'm supposed to feel when it's like I grew up here and you've done so much more cool shit with like Tranny Shack, Stud, Aquarius Records, where I kind of had that like, oh, yeah, that's the store that I go to. Like I never in my mind, I'm not a person that would be like, I should try and apply here because I like Amoeba, yeah. although that looks like a nightmare job. I don't know. If I yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's mass market stuff, because the special thing with like Aquarius was that it was just it was thoughtful. And you see those things, you just like someone put time and thought and effort here. And, you know, um, you know, someone sold me on another Ty Seagal record. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, do I need another one? OK, that's that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's how that was. But yeah. We're, well, what know, was we're... also funny about Aquarius? I mean, just for your listeners who aren't familiar, Aquarius was this record store. It um, it was around for many, many decades and for its last iteration before it eventually closed because people don't especially buy physical media anymore. Um, it was in the Mission District of San Francisco, and it was co-owned by Andy Connors and Alan Horrocks. Andy is my bandmate. Um, and it was a place, it was a clean, well-lit place for extreme music. And I don't mean extreme strictly in the like metal industrial sense, but music that pushed boundaries in a lot of different directions. And the people who worked there were legitimately excited to geek out with anybody about music. And that was the one of the most fun things about working there is people would come in and you'd get to have conversations with people and engage them with things. And one of the one of the extreme ends of that that I found about Aquarius is that it would be one thing to be like, oh, we're, I'm really excited. We're all really geeked out about this new Emperor record. And so we try to push it on people because we we love it. But we would get excited about some very weird, obscure thing like the Comet Project, which is these broadcast number stations, like this three CD box set with booklet. And we, I think we sold thousands of them. And it wasn't necessarily that all of those thousands of people who bought them were like at home rigorously listening to it. What was more interesting to me was we were creating this dialogue where this community that we were at the center of, we were all excited about this thing and participating in being excited about this thing that it's not like being excited about this micro genre of metal. It's, it was, it's about being excited about coming together and exploring this very strange territory together, which is more than just having a record store selling Katy Perry, you know? Yeah. Man, what a perfect segue into me trying to get you and uh, Chad to present a movie in a theater. I just I, love wanted, that. I know you would. I think I don't yeah. know if I could win him over, but man, we should partner with Mark and do something like you just to. make Chad read a passage from Blood Meridian. <laughs> and that, that, yeah, that, that might that may no, that, that might be that might be the way to get him to show up. Yeah. No, we, we need to do like a double feature at the Balboa. We'll get like Fateful Findings, which is up there oh. now. Oh, now, Neil Breen. That, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, Breen. yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I, did you watch them? I know. I know Neil Breen. Chris and Lee came over, right? Yeah. Uh, also, Canadians? Okay, what's going on here? Does Canada love fateful findings or something? I think so. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, we had to, I think to, he's. I think he's from Nevada, right, Neil Breen? Oh, he's, oh, he's got Nevada. He's got Nevada <laughs> vibes. <laughs> he's got Nevada vibes for sure. You know, we, no, we were showing a movie at another hole in the head, Dead Dicks. And, um, 
the filmmakers flew out and discovered that they had a very San Francisco motel. Oh, they stayed at a murder hotel, so yeah. I had to go save them. They were jumping over bodies and poop to get in there. So they, were, they contacted us and were like, hey, uh, can you help us find another place? Everything is booked. And we're like, yeah, it's our podcast room. There was a Google had a giant <laughs> convention. And so there were no hotel rooms in the city. Yeah. And yeah. well, so Clark ended up being their like, I don't know, chauffeur for a week. And they introduced Neil, right? They're the ones that brought it, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know what it is with Canada. Loving that, the, that was a week of discovery. We showed them things. They showed us things. And it I was worked. Very nice. I was very fucking and annoyed. And you missed everything. God. And the thing was, we have a large Blu-ray collection downstairs. And you can tell. It must be the same vibe when people are going into Aquarius Records. There's like a way of looking at something where it's like, oh, fuck. That dude, he gets it. Like, he was pulling right. out things, and he'd be like, have you seen this movie? And it's like, no. And then I'd go to work, and they would watch it. Right. We movie-cucked you. All right. So, <laughs> so I, I, If I may, I, I, I'm curious. I know you weren't there, but Neil Breen presented his own movie to, like, cool kids who were probably laughing at him publicly. Like, what do you think was the context? I don't know. That's, that's a funny thing. Like, I got to see, uh, shoot. Yeah, Miami Connection with uh, what's the filmmaker's name? Oh, um, I'll look at uh, but, but, yeah, you can't pull it. No, he came out it's, here. He came out the, to uh, it's on yeah. the tip of my head. Well, I got to I got to see him present it at the Alamo Draft. YK Kim, YK Kim came and presented um, Miami Connection live, and I thought it was great. You know, I I, I once saw um, the guys from American movie come and present uh, Coven in person a long, long time ago. And it was really cool, but there were clearly a lot of people who were like laughing at them in this really like mean girls way that I thought was actually not cool. Yeah. And there is a fine line between like laughing at a movie and being delighted by it versus like insultingly, condescendingly laughing at the people who made it earnestly. And the thing with someone like YK Kim is he is so ebullient and he's just above the derision. He wasn't like uh, Tommy Wiseau, who's like, eh, I guess I'll be in on the joke now and I'll just roll with it. And, I, I, you know, it seems that Tommy Wiseau, at least to some degree, has a sense of humor about himself some in some way that makes the, the laughter a, a little less predatory. Yeah. And YK Kim just seemed completely oblivious to it. He was just like everybody out of your seats. And he was getting people to do these like affirmations and shit. It was really crazy. He's like a self-help guru, but not. Oh. <laughs> um, but, but then I could imagine Neil Breen showing up to present a movie and it being kind of icky. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like the troll two guy, like in the documentary, um, best worst movie, they yeah. show him like, what a good documentary. They really mm -hmm. did with that story. And, yeah. you know, it's it's like this this movie that's kind of a misfire, but it's all the things that we like. And it's, it builds this culture and it's the actors discovering it through conventions. And then they bring the director out from Italy and they want him to join the party. And he's in the back of the room fucking swearing. And he's like, yeah. you're all fucking dumb. This is a good movie. And it's like, whoa, there's that dictator. Yeah. There's the guy that it takes to make a movie like that. Yes. And, yes. and Tommy Wiseau, he comes out all the time. And you yeah. can tell 
in his heart, he's that guy, but he's learned yeah. to to roll with it. To like just be yes. like, okay, I'll play, I'll play the clown right now, but you're all fucking dumb. Yeah. And you can see it, you know. <laughs> and I Yeah. There's a lot of vinegar running through those veins. I don't know. <laughs> like one would say it's a syndrome. And you know, no it's funny it's a sickness is what it is now <laughs> mark we talk about this a lot because we've presented a bunch of films like clearly we we wade into the indie uh, realm of horror and a lot mm-hmm. of the films we like are just unique and uh yeah. with that same screening at another hole in the head with dead dicks we showed another film by jason cook cook cock it's cook okay cook and uh beyond the black veil which is out now so there's a real commercial for you but that movie is a fucking weird one and i remember i was building this theory about melodrama and just like why it didn't connect and it may be the most polarizing thing we've ever shown and here's the thing Mm. i felt like we like our buddy Vito plays an amazon delivery truck uh delivery truck he plays an amazon van driver who runs over a kid in the very beginning of the movie Right there. That's that's a synopsis that you've never read on IMDb. Right. So it's like it's exciting. And we knew when we talked to Jason, I'm like, dude, this movie would be a fucking fantastic film. It's a great audience film. People are going to like it's very engaging. We showed it. People were clapping through the movie, standing up. And I'm, I'm sitting here listening to, to Mark talk about laughing with or at the movie. And this was part of a film fest, right? It was a, another hole in the head. Mm-hmm. So people were leaving and they had ballots to rate the movie. And people would be literally red in the face, having cried minutes before, just having such a good time. They come out, take the ballot. One hated it. And I would be like, oh. I'm like, wait, hold on. Like, that's what that's what it looks like to hate a movie. It was it was a borderline riotous screening. It was it played wow. very well. well. And then our guest, Chris and Lee. They almost had an intervention. We did a white elephant party after. Oh. And they came up and they're like, so we've been talking and we're not sure. Like, you guys seem really nice. Like, you're you were really kind to us. And we just don't know why you would show that movie. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, it felt like it was like kind of mean. And I'm like, well, I don't know. And I remember having I was kind of drunk and I was trying to build an argument for like real art or something. And when the answer should have been. It was a lot of fun. The movie's bonkers. And yeah. uh, we had friends in it. I don't know. It was a party movie. And I, I don't know. I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't know. What is the answer? Like, is that mean? Like when we go and watch uh, YK Kim at the Alamo, that can't be mean, right? No, I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it's complicated. It, it's just, it's just, it's really complicated. It's, I think it's what, like, what does it mean for a piece of art to fail so spectacularly that it is kind of great? Like, it, it, it is doing things with such complexity that, like, when we talk about, like, <laughs> great art, you know, we're usually talking about something that is, like, really complicated and has all these layers and ideas and you can get lost in it and you can rediscover things about it at a layered time because there's so much built into it. That's what Miami Connection does. That's what Troll 2 does for completely different reasons, but it's still there. Um, I find that, you know, uh, maybe in a in a case that isn't one someone would laugh at, um, one of my favorite movies is Liquid Sky. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 
Have you guys seen Liquid Sky? Is that a dumb question? It's, um, I think it's incredible. And I think it's one of those movies, you know, in cinema history, there are so many movies where it's a one and done. Mm -hmm. Like a bunch of people came together. They made this incredible thing and none of them ever had success elsewhere again. But that doesn't take away from this like one hit wonderness. Um, and Liquid Sky is definitely that. And it's funny, I, I interviewed uh, Slava Sukerman, the filmmaker, a long time ago. And he had, it's funny, there's this one scene where there's this completely ridiculous sex scene where there's a bunch of people crowded around chanting it. And one of the characters goes like, I'm out of here or something like that and turns and Slava Sukerman was saying, yeah, I put that line in self-consciously because I figured that would be the point in the movie where the audience would be like, I'm leaving. (laughs) And so he had the character on screen say the thing that he assumed his audience would probably be thinking about the movie. Um, And so it's, it's not that that movie is an accident, but, but I think a lot of, what makes it incredible is not replicatable. It's very singular. Yeah. Uh, It's very special. Um, And you, you can't laugh at that movie. It's not funny, bad. It's just completely on its own terms. Unique in a way that happens very rarely. Yeah. You know, uh, I, my immediate reaction was, yeah, I've seen this movie. I was totally thinking of Vanilla Sky. You idiot. <laughs> oh my God. God. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, no, dude, Vanilla Sky. I got to re examine that movie. No, no you don't. Oh my God. That reminds me of this is completely weird. Uh, what's, the, um, what's the actor who was the lead in Sopranos? James Gandolfini. So, James Gandolfini, I was hearing people talk about, and I went to art school, so I, I definitely pricked up my ears. Like, oh, James Gandolfini, he's doing like conceptual art now. He's doing like these performance art pieces and stuff like that. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, kind of like what I'm thinking about Nicolas Cage right now. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, I, I cannot wrap my head around that. I deeper, I don't care if the work is good. That is super interesting. And it turned out, People were actually talking about uh, what's his name from Freaks and Geeks. Uh, Seth Rogen? Franco? No, Franco. People were talking about James Franco, oh. not James Gandolfini. <laughs> but for a moment, I got to believe that James Gandolfini was like out there just like, fuck it, I'm doing this now. It was such a disappointment to realize <laughs> that I was wrong. You know, I've met a couple people just through like doing warehouse work in the Bay Area who who have had like classes with James Franco. I've never yeah. heard a good thing about him. So like yeah. that kind of like tainted it for me. But like, dude, yeah. I'm not a Sopranos fan. I would totally be into James Gandolfini if he did that. I right. I, yeah, I worked. I, loved at, it. I worked at a restaurant where one of the guys there played indoor soccer with Dave Franco <laughs> and he said he was cool. He, I could Great. see that. And, you know, you know, I'm a Dave Franco fan. Dude. I, the um, rental is underrated. Somebody just put out <laughs> Liquid Sky, I feel like. I got to I gotta visit that. It's getting, it keeps getting uh, interesting reissues. I, I think it's an incredible film. There's nothing like it. It's like sci-fi, new wave, rape revenge, but it's also focused on downtown New York in the early 80s, which I 
fetishize that kind of moment. It's got a little bit of a caperness to it. Um, yeah, it's great. Dude, I'm going to check that out. Um, fuck. Should we let him go? I just looked at the time. I'm like, fuck, Clark let us run a half hour longer. Well, you know, I, I, I think that we were at a point there and uh, I wanted to hit a threshold. So, Mark, congratulations. You were on longer than your co-host. <laughs> oh, we have surpassed yeah. uh, that. I, that's why I had to look on my phone. Uh, we've surpassed that interview link by three minutes. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we've done it. But Mark, this was a treat, man. This was so much fun. Um, actually, so I don't think we've ever guys. met. So this was uh, this was yeah. great. And um, so before we cut you loose, just tell us, um, you know, how people can get in tune with your music and, uh, you know, any uh, upcoming episodes to look out for on the show. Yeah, um, I markate.com, M-A-R-C-K-A-T-E.com. I pretty much post everything significant there. Um, so next with my band, My Heart and Inverted Flame, uh, we just about a month or two ago finished a 12-month one. We released one EP a month for a year, and we just finished that. And that's all on Bandcamp. Uh, that's not on streaming services. As far as the podcast is concerned, I think as a result, I was listening to Chad, my co-host, on your podcast last episode, and you guys were talking about the band Ghost, and it kind of made me realize I've never seen the movie Ghost, and then I thought, <laughs> maybe we should do an episode about the movie Ghost, and then I was like, well, what if it's about the band and the movie, and then Chad thought, maybe also it'd be about ghosting. <laughs> so hat on a hat. We, we totally had on a hat. So I think we might do the ultimate, like it obviously doesn't fucking matter what we're talking about. <laughs> as long as we do an episode, we're going to do a ghost, ghost, ghosting episode. Fuck that yeah. might be next. I love it. Um, now before you leave <laughs> two things, now that I say it out loud, I'm <laughs> Throwing ghost face to it. <laughs> no, dude, that I can't wait for that. Um, one, anybody listening out there, because I know a lot of you are Scary Thoughts fans. If you are into my heart and inverted flame, contact me because I need somebody to digest that music with that isn't Mark. Like they can't be part of the band. It has to be. You know, we have to take that away from the creators. Randy, did you buy? You bought it all, right? I didn't, but I'm on the uh, Bandcamp right now. Oh, okay. okay. I, I had somebody told me they had uh, purchased all of it. And I was like, well, I wish oh. you would have told me. Um, another thing, after that uh, interview we did with Chad, people have been hitting me up about the fucking Dungeon Synth playlist you did. So, oh, it's so good, right? Yeah. An Epic. Another thing that Chad has flipped on, as he sent me a new band, uh, The Toad King, which, man, yes. that album's fucking good. So yeah, you're bringing yeah. Dungeon Synth back. And uh, Mark, I'm not joking. If you're if you're interested in like doing a double feature or something, I'll bust out my VHS yeah. of Ator Four Quest for the Mighty Sword, and we can uh, we should raid the Balboa and do it. Okay, great, dude. I mean, Mark, you're the best man. There we go. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. 
And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.